Hello, welcome to the IDEAS podcast. Inclusive, digital, educational, anti-discriminatory alternatives. You're listening to module two, women's, her stories, political options and theoretical standpoints. Episode two, liberal feminism. Hello, today we're going to introduce liberal feminism. Liberal feminism is grounded, as is more or less obvious, in liberalism, and therefore a broader framework, a political philosophy, and perhaps even better said, an ideology, which has practically announced modernity. Liberalism had, and still has, many forms, many guises, It appeared in its traditional articulation in the 17th century by John Locke, then reached its peak in the 19th century with the texts of John Stuart Mill and expanded up to the 20th century with one of the most prominent representatives, John Rawls and Theories of Justice. Now, owing to its overwhelming presence, it has been exposed to criticism, it has reshaped, remodeled itself, but basically as a point of departure, it relies on a firm belief that all human beings are rational, as such they are equal among themselves, as such they deserve to be free, they are free, and they have rights. These have been articulated differently, right to life, dignity, freedoms to speak, right, freedom of movement, a right to associate, even the pursuit of happiness. Or, as Hannah Arendt would have phrased it, a right to have rights. That is usually also how, within a series of stating these rights, Also, democracy is addressed. But democracy as liberalism is an equally contested term. However, it is very important to add a last, but certainly not the least, characteristic. Because from the outset to date, liberalism is closely connected to the protection, acquisition and accumulation of property, read private property, to the ideology of the market, usually presented itself as the free market, or the economic system of capitalism. Liberalism would like to present itself as a theory that offers both freedom and equality. However, according to one of the prominent feminist theorists, Wendy Brown, it's an oxymoron. It is usually that the political system has to choose between either freedom or equality, can't have both. Or liberalism also likes to present itself as a part of a trinity, which includes liberalism, democracy, and capitalism. So much for liberalism. Now we go on to the liberal feminism. Liberal feminism, as opposed to other theoretical and political options, 
Marxism and radical Marxist feminism and radical feminism does not require changes in either the political or the economic system. There is no demand on part of liberal feminism for any changes, any changes of the system, political or economic. The demands are just that women be included into the system. The key word being equality between men and women. In the 20th century, this demand was ironically presented as that liberal feminism is just, quote, add women and stir, unquote. It is important to stress that liberal feminism is a follow-up of liberalism. Along those lines, let's quote Mary Astell in 1700, and quote, if all men are born free, How is it that all women are born slaves, as they must be if the being subjected to the uncertain, unknown, arbitrary will of men be the perfect condition of slavery? Unquote. Theories of liberal feminism are represented by Mary Wollstonecraft and Olympe de Gouges. Both worked at the end of the 18th century. And then in the 19th century, by the developed theories of liberal feminism through the texts of Harriet Taylor Mill and John Stuart Mill, as well as by the contributions of Betty Friedan, a 20th century feminist activist. So theories of liberal feminism span from the end of the 18th to the 20th century and go beyond. It is the first set of feminist theoretical arguments based on the central assumption that women are equal to men and should therefore have the same basic rights as men. The demands of liberal feminism are presented as the political demands, and they constitute the right to vote, the demand for the women for the right to vote, and also very much important, the right to education. Or to expand on that and go into the 20th century articulations, the right to the political participation in the decision-making processes. This is closely followed by the demand for economic independence, which is, on the other hand, central to Marxist and socialist feminism. Let's look at some of the important women whose names we have already mentioned. Just briefly, for instance, Olympe de Gouges, a French revolutionary, also an author and a prolific one at that, She wrote many plays, theater plays. She wrote political pamphlets. Olympe de Gouges is famous for her declaration of the rights of women and female citizens, or in an incorrect English, citizeness, written in 1791 and modeled after the more famous document of 1789 known as the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Male Citizen. It states that women are equal to men and are therefore entitled to the same citizenship rights. Olympe de Gouges sadly was guillotined, but as if predicting that one of the statements of her declaration, among other things, said, quote, If women have the right to mount the scaffold, they should likewise have the right to mount the rostrum the platform from which to speak, end of quote. 
To mention her contemporary, Mary Wollstonecraft, she's an author, a self-educated author, and very much politically engaged in the support of the French Revolution and also the American independence. She's best known as the author of The Vindication of the Rights of Women. This book, using as a point of departure a self-evident truth, evidently not so self-evident to her contemporaries, that women are human beings and are therefore endowed with reason and capable of virtue, she admits that, quote, the conduct and the manner of women evidently prove that their minds are not in a healthy state. The cause, she says, of this barren blooming, I attribute to the false system of education, end of quote. She then presents and elaborates and passionately defends her demand that women receive the same education as men. In her arguments, she opposes Rousseau and any other who would contradict her. This is actually the first comprehensive, fully developed request for a complete education on all levels for all girls and women. To move forward to the 19th century, Harriet Taylor Mill is the first theorist to unequivocally demand all the political rights for women, of course, especially including the right to vote, but also the right to education, the right to economic independence, the right to decide about her marital status, etc. To quote Harriet Taylor Mill, we deny to anyone, any part of mankind, the right to decide in our stead. She speaks in the first person, which is very important, and states arguments against excluding women from the public sphere based, for instance, on motherhood, puts forward arguments that motherhood is socially constructed and therefore all the limitations of motherhood stem from that fact of social construction of motherhood. These basic standpoints she shares with her partner in life as in political engagements, John Stuart Mill, author of the long-time famous text on the subjection of women, which is often overlooked by the mainstream interpreters of his work. Moving fast forward to the 20th century, Betty Friedan, the founder of the National Organization of Women, or NOW, sadly not managed to pull through the equal amendments, the era, but very importantly, the author of the book Feminine Mystique, published in 1963. She was definitely one of the key women of the women's liberation movement, or LIB, as it has been known. Liberal feminism is sometimes equated with feminism as such, owing to the fact that it is an orientation within feminism which always drew into its membership the largest number of followers. One of the interpreters of liberal feminism, Zila Eisenstein, stated that all feminism is liberal at its roots, meaning that it is premised on fundamental values, regardless of whether they are unfulfilled hopes, of modernity and enlightenment, and no matter of the disillusionments of the last century, 20th century, concerning the values of humanity, freedom, the her statement that feminism is liberal at its roots 
still stands. Along those lines, in her book that has the same title, she very firmly argues that there is a radical future of liberal feminism. In that book, she assesses the advantages and contributions of liberal feminism. But one would rather say that liberal feminism had a radical past and, as a matter of fact, does not have a radical future. We claim this since what is today on our agenda is a presentation and a critique of neoliberalism that even expanded into what some theorists say is the existence of neoliberal feminism, the critique being that that too is an oxymoron. To go back one step, according to numerous authorities on the subject, liberalism after 1970s strengthened its ties with and its dependency on its economic framework, namely the market and strengthened itself as a capitalist economic system. Nancy Fraser, in 2013, in her provocative article, Feminism, Capitalism and the Cunning of History, claims that the second wave feminism's ultimate privileging of all identity claims over redistribution, so privileging recognition of identities, over redistribution, meaning economic justice, is responsible for the convergence of contemporary feminism with neoliberal capitalism. Stating more or less the same argument and a warning, Wendy Brown in 73, 1973 wrote, quote, the political rationality of neoliberalism could be read as an issuing from a stage of capitalism that simply underscores Marx's argument that capital penetrates and transforms every aspect of life, remaking everything in its own image and reducing every activity and value to its cold rationale. Other theorists have already expressed more or less the same concern, stating the greatest political challenge neoliberalism presents to feminist politics is therefore the extension of the economic realm itself. Many feminist thinkers have argued that feminism must now return its focus to socialist politics and foreground economic questions of redistribution in order to combat the hegemony of neoliberalism. However, even more importantly, our concern is not only the extension of neoliberalism and it's the prevalence of economic questions, capitalist concerns, but according to some other authors like Catherine Rottenberg, quote, the emergence of neoliberal feminism in America, which is most clearly articulated in some highly publicized and widely read so-called feminist manifestos, like Lean In, which has in New York Times become a bestseller, and also Anne-Marie Slaughter's Why Women Still Can't Have It All. The problem is that here, articulated feminist subject 
should accept and does accept full responsibility for her own well-being and self-care, which is increasingly predicated on crafting a felicitous work, family balance based on cost-benefit calculus. The problem here is not the criticism of the system, economic, political, or otherwise, but shifting the responsibility to the individual and thereby standing with what was the original statement of liberalism, but now here fully infected by capitalist so-called free market. To quote Catherine Rottenberg, unlike classical liberal feminism, whose raison d'etre was to pose an imminent critique of liberalism, revealing the gendered exclusions within liberal democracy's proclamation of universal equality, particularly with respect to the law, institutional access, and the full incorporation of women into the public sphere, this new feminism meaning neoliberal feminism, seems perfectly in sync with the evolving neoliberal order. Neoliberal feminism, she says further, in other words, offers no critique, imminent or otherwise, of neoliberalism. So unlike liberal feminism, which did distance itself from liberalism in different points and when assessing different issues, neoliberal feminism has no critique of neoliberalism generally. It is completely informed by market rationality. In accepting individual responsibility for her or his or anyone's own well-being, A high-powered woman who manages to balance a spectacularly successful career with a satisfying home life. In this way, says Catherine Rottenberg, neoliberal feminism not only interpolates a subject responsible for her own self-care, but this subject is also normalized by this address, called upon to desire both professional success and personal fulfillment, which almost always translates into motherhood. End of quote. This problem will be followed through and unfolded, fully analyzed and presented in the following podcasts. So, to be continued. <laughs>